and I am excited to, jo- to dive into Colossians chapter 2 with you this morning. But before we get to that point, I just want to put something out there for you to keep in your mind. Coming up in a few weeks, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more in coming weeks, but coming up in a few weeks is one of our favorite times of the year, which is the annual combined service where we bring all three of our campuses, East Jordan, Lance, and Wallen Lake, right here. And it's all in one service at 10 o'clock a.m. So if you show up at 9, you're just going to get a really good seat. Um, if you show up at 1045, you'll, you'll show up right in the middle. So um, I want to encourage you, this is the last Sunday of January, the 28th, is our annual combined service. We'll have more details later, but we're excited about that. I want to take you to that moment that you don't really enjoy. You, you, you just did that one thing you swore you would never do. And now you feel gross, you feel ashamed, you feel distant from God. What do you do now? The pull of the flesh is to tell you that you need to do something more to make up for what you just did. To atone for your sin. And and without getting into it a whole lot, the, the, the temptation is to believe that if you just discipline yourself a little bit more, maybe you punish yourself a little bit more, um, then, then you're going to start to feel a little bit better about yourself. Maybe even your relationship with God will get a little bit closer because you did a little bit extra to make up for what you just did. And so what we do, a lot of times what we do, and I don't know why we do this, but we get ourselves into these cycles of religiosity. We, we create these impossibly high standards that make us feel better about ourselves for a moment, and then we don't live up to that, and so we hold that standard over other people, because then at the very least, if they don't live up to it, then I feel better about me not living up to it. And we get into these cycles of religiosity because we feel lousy about the fact that we don't measure up to what we think we're supposed to be. We feel just short of the standard. We feel just outside of love's reach. We feel incomplete. But what if there was another way? This is the tension that we face, that we found the present in the young Colossian church last week as we were talking about this, remember? Last week I was mentioning how the Apostle Paul, he's writing to a very young congregation, new believers in the middle of a cultural melting pot that's filled with religious dualism. And so one of the major themes that he's writing about is actually how, is, is about completeness. It's about how Christ is the complete package. It's not you plus him, it's him plus nothing. And so this is, super important because you have to realize you have to start with this point that Jesus himself plus nothing is the hope of glory all right so we got to the point last week where the challenge was reveal the story of Christ in you the hope of glory and this brings us to chapter 2 in Colossians Colossians chapter 2 and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning so if you're able would you join me we're going to stand together and read the first few verses of Colossians chapter 2 It's going to be Colossians 2, 1 through 7, and it goes like this. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for the many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love 
I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. And now, just as you accepted Christ, Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that this would be the thing that is true of our lives, that our roots grow down into Christ. Our lives are founded and built and strengthened by the foundation of Christ and that we overflow with thankfulness. I pray that you would produce a supernatural joy inside of all of us this morning, that you would infect us with, uh, with energy from the gospel, that it would um, invigorate our lives and give us a new outlook on our lives. Lord, I pray that you would change us from the inside out and that we'd be a people that visibly and obviously reflect the glory of Jesus in our world. Amen. You may have a seat. Thanks for reading with me. Just like Paul, one of my main objectives this morning is that you will be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love and that you'll have complete confidence that you understand God's mysterious plan. I want you to be encouraged this morning. I want you to leave here with confidence. That's my goal, okay? So if you walk out of these doors um, just bummed about life, (laughs) about where you're at in life, about Christ, about your faith, somebody didn't do their job, okay? And it wasn't God. It might have been me, though. I mean, I'm not going to blame that on you. So this is what you read right away. Paul's like, this is my goal, this is what I want for you, but actually the way that the logic of this passage works is in reverse. In other words, he says this, here's what you need to do, why? Okay, let me break that down and go into that a little bit, okay? So right off the bat, he says, here's what you need to do, starting in verse 6, and then he goes, here's why you need to do that. So the first thing you actually need to get, if you're going to kind of work through this in kind of a logical progression, is actually towards the middle and the end of the chapter, and then you'll understand why you need to do what you need to do, which is what he says at the beginning of the chapter. Does that make sense? You tracking with me so far? Okay. I just want you to understand the flow here for a moment. So so he says says in verse 6, Now... Just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you'll overflow with thankfulness. So don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ, he's given two alternatives here, worldly philosophies, union with Christ. In Christ... All the fullness of God lives in a human body. So you're complete through your union with Christ, who's the head and the ruler and the authority of the church. So in other words, 
all of God, all of who God is, all of his fullness, all of his completeness is completely in Christ. You look at Christ, you get all of God. And if that's the case, it means two things. At the very least, it means two things. Number one, it's God who paid for my sin, himself. It's God who defeats my enemies, himself. It's God who overcame death by himself and offers me new life. God did that. Jesus did that. God did that. They're one. Christ is united. He's, he's got union, perfect union. He is one with the Father. The second thing it means is that if I'm united with Christ, then the way that God sees Christ is the way that God sees me. Right? When my sin has been paid for and the righteousness of Christ is now applied to my record, I now receive everything that Christ receives and God sees me as he sees Christ. Therefore, my life before God is complete. Do you get this? Like, everything that you can try to do to make yourself more pleasing to God is laughable in comparison to what Christ has already done. Like, it's so minuscule, it doesn't even register on the scale. Like, Christ has made you completely right with God. An impossible task for anybody. And then me coming along to try to be like, oh, don't do this, don't, don't do that, do more of this, do more of that. Like, it's, it doesn't even get you anywhere close. And yet Christ has already put you there. So, so there's nothing I can do that's extra. It's completely finished. I am completely right with God. So you need to hear this. In your life this week, there is nothing more you can do to make yourself pleasing to God. I hope you rest in this. Like you are already completely pleasing to God. You are already completely pleasing to God. It's so hard to believe this. I am already completely pleasing to God. Like it says in verse 8, he says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense. Right? Like, don't handle this thing, stay away from this thing, avoid this thing, boycott this food company, they stand for something bad. Like, avoid these things. Don't touch this thing. Don't eat that thing. Don't taste. Don't touch. Don't handle. If you read the fine print on these high-sounding philosophies of what it takes to live a better Christian life, if you read the fine print, you're going to see that there's an infinite amount of steps that you need to climb to make yourself right with God. If that's going to be your strategy. trying to get there on your own efforts there is no end to the amount of steps you have to climb because the distance between the distance that your sin separates you from god is infinite but in christ you're already a hundred percent there like god is completely satisfied with you already Right now, without having to do anything else, Christ has already done it for you. Your old life is dealt with already. You are totally, fully, completely pleasing to God, and there's nothing more you can do about it. That's what he's saying here. For Christ, in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, and you are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. 
And he goes on to verse 11. Now, before I get into these next few verses, like, I want you to notice this and be looking for this. There's three truths that I think are absolutely glorious. They, they set you free. They're freeing truths. Three freeing truths. I had to say that slowly. <laughs> Number one is this, that Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. Therefore, I don't have to beat myself up and atone for my sin anymore. It's already paid for. In fact, every time that I try to do more to beat myself up, to atone for my own sin, it's almost like saying, Jesus, what you did wasn't enough. Like, there's still more to to deal with. No, no, no. Jesus completely paid for your sin. The second freeing truth is that Jesus earned victory over the power of sin and evil forces. So I don't have to pull out all these religious, rigid, strict disciplines and put them into place to keep myself from going back to living in the kingdom of darkness. If Christ rescued me from there, it's not my strength that's going to keep me going back there. He already disarmed and overcame the spiritual powers that would pull me back in. Okay? And we're going to see this in the text. And number three, Jesus showed his power over the grave when he rose from the dead. Right? So my whole life in him is a new life. It's like this foretaste of my eternal destiny. And so when I get this, this is super liberating. I'm no longer bound by a constant sense of striving for approval or spiritual power or getting into God's good graces. Why? Because these truths are showing me that that what he's already done has put me there completely apart from anything I could possibly do. He's already done it 100% on his own. And now he just offers that. And now I stand in this place of grace, totally overwhelmed, totally unable to do anything else but just receive it. And this is, so this is what he says, verse 11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised. Not a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. The cutting away of your sinful nature. Literally, the, the, the phrase is the body of the flesh, but it refers to like the, the, the flesh part of you. The sinful nature. He cut it away. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Who gave you new life? It was the mighty power of God. It was not your discipline. It was not your might or your power. It was the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Because you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. This is for free. This is from C.S. Lewis, I think. It's a famous quote I've heard a lot of times, though. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. That's not what Christianity is. Jesus came to make dead people alive. Right? That's what he's done. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature. It wasn't yet cut away. And then God made you alive with Christ. And he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly in his victory over them in the cross. You need to get this. When Jesus wins, he wins big. Okay? When Jesus wins, he does not take it easy on his opponent. When Jesus wins, it's like, take that! I beat you bad. Now you stay down. That's how Jesus wins. You get that? Now, 
I'm not that big of a basketball fan. No offense. Just, it's never really been my thing. But, um, for whatever reason, I do get amped up when a team or a player that I find interesting is, it's like they're doing well and then they just start showboating a little bit, you know what I mean? Um, and I don't know why, I just get a little fired up when I see that. So there's this clip from the 2001 NBA Finals that I love. It's an iconic moment. Um, there's a player named Allen Iverson. If you've never heard of him, let me just say this. He's famous for his, like, I don't care what you think about me attitude. He was just iconic in that sense. Very good basketball player, didn't like to practice, didn't like what people thought of him. He's like, I don't care what you think about me, okay? And, and so in the NBA Finals 2001, they're playing the Lakers, and a player on the Lakers, Tyron Lue, is guarding him. Long story short, he makes this jump shot over Tyron Lue, and as Tyron Lue's struggling to get back up, he falls down. And, and you can see this, we're going to show this clip here in just a second, but he just like steps over him and just like stares him down. It looks so disrespectful. But go ahead and show that clip. 103 left in overtime. 101.99. Here's Iverson. Lou, the defender. Stays right with him. Allen wants to go. Wants the baseline. Fade away. Yeah. He's way too good. He steps around Lou. And drilled it. And the Sixers have scored nine in a row. Seven straight points by Iverson. Looked like he was dead in the water. Well, Sixers by four. 40 seconds left. <laughs> oh, I love that. It's so disrespectful, but like every Sixers fan, every Iverson fan in the building is going nuts because he's like publicly shaming him as he's just doing that right after making a basket over him. Christ forgave all your sin. He canceled the record of the charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross, and in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross, right? Like, he's like, you stay down there, I'm victorious, and you never get to come back again. You are disarmed, you have no more power, I win, you lose, okay? Every single accuser is silenced. What more can they come at you with? Your sin? Jesus paid for it all. There's no more consequence for you. You don't have to beat yourself up or atone for your sin. Jesus paid for it. What can they come at me with, right? My weakness in facing temptation? Come on, Jesus disarmed every spiritual power that would tempt me. There is no more power in their seductions. You don't have to pull out all these rigid disciplines to keep yourself from going back to living in the kingdom of darkness. It's not you who got you out of there. It won't be who, kept, who, who keeps you from going back there because Jesus has already disarmed every spiritual power that would come against you. What do they got? What do they got? The fear of death? Jesus rose from the dead. He came back from the dead. He has disarmed the power of death. In fact, any time that I begin to think about what's next, what possibly could happen, I know that I have the hope of glory. Come on. If I've got Christ, I've got it all. What can they come at you with? They've got nothing. 
They've got nothing. Every single accuser is silenced. There's no more power. Jesus disarmed them. So I'm right with God. There's nothing more that they can do. I'm high-stepping in Christ, right? Like my sin is forgiven. My record is canceled. My debt is nailed to the cross. My accusers are silenced. My opponents are disarmed. I'm walking in victory. I'm walking in victory. This is what Christ has done. It had nothing to do with me. It was all Him. This is the secret It's Christ in Himself. That is God's mysterious plan available to all of us. So don't, verse 16, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat, you drink, or not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. These rules are just a shadow of what is yet to come. Christ Himself is that reality. So don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels saying that they've had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud. They're not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together. He's the one that holds everything together, not your discipline. With its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. You've died with Christ and he's set you free from the spiritual powers of the world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't touch, don't taste? These rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. It might seem wise, because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, severe bodily discipline, but get this, get this, here it is. They provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. You want to overcome sin? It's not your disciplines. That's not going to help you overcome your evil desire inside of you. Here's the point. It's loving the gospel that leads to godliness. It's it's, it's when you're overwhelmed, when you love the gospel for yourself. That's what leads to godliness in yourself. It's, It's when I'm blown away, when I'm fascinated with what Jesus has already done for me, that's what produces a godly life, a a life that's pleasing to God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms me from the inside out. It is not the shackles of my discipline that keeps me from going back there. Loving the gospel for yourself leads to godliness in yourself. These strict disciplines will not earn you God's favor or even keep you there. Okay? You don't even need them to conquer your evil desires. Thousands of years of Christian history and this text proved that this doesn't work. It just doesn't. What he's trying to communicate here is that your union with Christ motivates your growth in Christ. Okay? This is the profound truth. Before God, I am in Christ. So when, when God sees Christ, when God sees me, he sees Christ. When God sees me, he sees Christ. But then what that produces is something lived out. So in this world, Christ is in me. So when you see me, you should see Christ. This is how that works. It's through the union that you have with Christ. And it's this profound truth that sets me free. I don't need to be buried deeper in systems of discipline and good behavior that, that just produced something in me. No, no, no. I need to be planted deeper in the soil of Christ. And this is going to produce something that's more Christ-like in me. Right? Because he has made me right with God, 
all on his own. I yield and surrender. It's when I love the gospel. That's what produces godliness in me. So any effort I give now is no longer to gain God's favor, but it's actually because I already know these things are true of me. I'm just going to read a few things. If you want, actually, on your way out, there's, there's uh, baskets with these in them. It's 90 statements that are true of me when I'm in Christ. Okay, I just found this somewhere, and I loved it. So it, I didn't make it, but um, these are just the ones that are true in Colossians. I've been rescued from the domain of Satan's rule and transferred to the kingdom of Christ, 113. I've been redeemed and forgiven of all my sin. The debt against me has been canceled, 114. I'm blameless and free of accusation, 122. Christ is in me, 127. I'm firmly rooted in Christ and I'm being built up in him, 27. I've been made complete in Christ, 210. I've been spiritually circumcised and my sin nature has been removed, 211. I've been buried, raised, and made alive with Christ, 212 and 213. I've died with Christ and been raised up with Christ. My life is now hidden with Christ, 3, 1 through 4. I'm an expression of the life of Christ because he is my life, 3, 4. I am chosen by God, holy and dearly loved. 3.12. So, so if I have Christ, what more could I need? That's what he's trying to get at here. So, so what's the natural conclusion? I want to land on this. Paul's saying, so don't let anyone capture you with these empty philosophies, these high, this high-sounding nonsense. Later he goes, for what you do or don't do, don't let people condemn you. Right, that's verse 16 through 19. Don't, don't let someone condemn you for what you do or don't do in, in, your, in your efforts to be godly. That's, those things are not the thing. In other words, resist being condemned and captured by this world's broken system of earning approval. So what I want to do, and I think these three come from the text, I want to give you three ways to resist being condemned and captured. Three ways to resist being condemned and captured by this world's broken system of trying to earn approval. Number one is guard your faith. Right? Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking, from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. In other words, don't let someone convince you that there's more you still need to do to fix your relationship with God. You are 100% right with God. Is there something in between you and God? Christ has already paid for it. You get that? We're going to celebrate communion later here. We don't confess our sin to God so that we become more right with God. That's not how that works. You're already right with God. We confess our sin before God to, to remind ourselves of the freedom we already have. Right? It's, it's very liberating when I'm preparing my heart for communion and I'm about to, to drink the blood and eat the bread drink the blood, drink the wine and eat the bread, which represents the blood and the body. And I'm going like, you know what? I don't need to hide anymore. I don't need to protect myself anymore. I don't need to resist like, and run from shame by concealing my sin anymore. It's already been paid for, so why wouldn't I confess it and receive the healing that he's offering? Confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you might be healed. Right, so... so it, there's nothing you can do to make yourself more right with God. That's what I'm trying to get at. I want to give you something to chew on. You'll know that you're fixed on the gospel. Not in trusting some 
system of earning favor. You'll know you're fixed on the gospel when you get to that point of feeling bad about yourself, about your sin, and your very next response is thankfulness. It's gratitude. Right? Instead of feeling shame and beating yourself up, you'll know that your faith is secure in Christ in that moment because you'll be overwhelmingly thankful for what he's already done instead of stressing about what you still need to do. And this is the point at which religious people, people who love religious systems, start to push back. They don't like this tension. To say, you just sinned, start praising God because it's been forgiven. They don't like this, and I can feel the tension in the room right now. Why? I would argue that one of the most appropriate times to worship is just after you fell short. Because it's maybe one of the most poignant times where you realize the fact of what Christ has done to bring you right with God. Okay? Um, I don't think religious people like hearing this because they're like, well, no, 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 don't you get it? If you tell people that they have freedom to sin, that they'll just be forgiven every single time, then they'll just keep doing that. And that sounds like somebody who doesn't realize how much they've been forgiven. Because don't you get it? If you real man, I just messed up, but then I realize like what Christ has done for me, and I start to, to love the gospel, and I start to be planted and, and based in Christ, and I and I start to like go straight back to worship. The one thing Satan doesn't want me to do. And I keep going back to him. The glory of being um, overwhelmed with everything that he's done for me, that starts to reduce the temptation of sin. Because sin, what it's doing is saying, here, come here, come here, come here. I'm going to offer you something God never did. And the more that I'm overwhelmed with the gospel, the more that I realize that he has already offered me everything that sin is tempting me with, and it doesn't seem that delicious anymore. It's, 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 it's a broken promise. My encouragement to you, I think this is what the text is saying. Go to Christ. Don't go to more discipline. Don't go to more beating yourself up. Go to Christ. Guard your faith. This is what you believe. Don't let someone else steal that from you. I could preach all day on that. I'll tell this story, okay, and then I'll move on to the next point. I'll never forget this moment. Now, I've told this story before, but um, a, a big part of my testimony growing up was being addicted to pornography. And as I began to walk in freedom from that, and that's a long journey I could tell you about sometime, I'd love to, but there was this moment, and it was a very defining moment, where I was like about to give in, right? And, uh, and, and the devil was just peppering me with all the temptations constantly, constantly, constantly. And I was just like, man, I, I give in to all of those all the time. It always worked. And I remember God saying to me very clearly, even if you give in, I still love you. 
it was like before, like in the middle of the temptation, before I'd done anything, he's like, even if you do it, I'll still love you. As soon as you get back up, I'll give you a hug. And in that moment, I was like, of course I don't want that. It's promising me affirmation. It's promising me nourishment. It's promising me love. It's promising me security. And what you just offered me, God, I know you're good on your word. And I know that I've gone so many times to that broken well, and I know it's not good. Of course I don't want to go to that well again. And it was that word from God that said, even if you do, I still love you. And he was offering me what I'd been searching for, what this, this, this temptation was promising me. And he goes, I've already got it for you. And I walked away knowing like, that was never going to fulfill me. And I already got what it was promising me when God met me in that moment. It's Christ who gives you victory, who's disarmed the spiritual powers, who's given you a way out. It's not how much discipline you can put in place to so guard your faith. Number two is grow in him. Um, verse six, just as you accepted Christ, continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Do you see a tree growing big and strong only if it's planted in the soil on Sunday mornings? Do you see a, a flower blossom into these amazing beautiful petals and producing nectar for bees to, to drink from only when it hops in the soil whenever it feels like it. I hope you see where I'm going with this. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Life is produced in them. New life, growing life, strong life is produced in them when they're planted in the soil day in, day out. No matter the weather outside, no matter the challenges inside, the roots go down deep and soak up the nutrients for life. And as a result, life is produced. Okay? Your new life, your power over sin. You've probably been like, Brant, how does this work? You just say Christ defeats it all. But what is that? What, what, what's the mechanism of that? How does he do that? He doesn't just take it away because I've prayed for him to do that and I haven't seen that answer to prayer yet. Because you're right. There is no discipline that you can do to make yourself more right with God, to make yourself more pleasing to God. And yet, there is something that he says to do. Be rooted. Your new life, your power over sin, your confidence in the hope of glory is only as vibrant as your regular, consistent, devoted growth in Christ. It's not when you're practiced and disciplined, when you we put all these things together in your life and you make yourself, you will yourself into good behavior. No, no, no. It's, it's planted, not practiced. This is what produces life. It's when you're planted deeply, when, you're, when your roots go down deep in this place, in your relationship with Jesus Christ, is following Him every single day, every single week, every single month. That's when you begin to hear Him speak to you. That's when you begin to sense a closeness with Him. That's when you begin to receive all of the nutrients that your soul is yearning for, that temptation is offering you and not actually providing you. It's when you're rooted, when you're stuck in the same place, day in, day out, week in, week out. I'm planted I'm not withering. I'm not bouncing around like tumbleweed. I'm not going from here to there to here. No, no. I am. 
You can find me here tomorrow. You can find me here the next day. You can find me here the next week. I am planted in God's Word. I am planted in God's church. I am planted in relationships with God's people. I am planted. It's not that I'm practiced. I'm planted. That's where life is coming from because it's, it's through Him growing up through me. Does that make sense? So number one, guard your faith. Number two, grow in Him. And number three, gush with confidence. Here's the quick thing. I'll just say it this way. When you get Christ, you gush with confidence, okay? <laughs> oh, man, I, I am high-stepping in Christ. I, I am full of holy swag. Like, I am walking confidently when I get this, which is Christ himself. That's what it produces confidence. So guard your faith, grow in him, and gush with confidence.